welcome to episode 120 of District of Conservation. I am your host, Gabriella Hoffman. Joining me on this installment of the podcast is Senator-elect Cynthia Lummis. If you listened to the last episode, I teased her appearance here on the podcast, and I'm going to give you guys a snapshot into my fuller conversation with Senator-elect Lummis. Here, we're going to largely focus on her thoughts on conservation and energy issues, but I encourage you to look for more links and videos on my social media outlets in the coming days to catch my full-length conversation with her, but I figured I'd give you guys a teaser of that conversation, highlighting her thoughts on what she hopes to do in the Senate with respect to conservation, promoting and modernization of Endangered Species Act reforms, and many, many similar topics. So you'll hear from her in that respect here. If you're not familiar with Senator-elect Lummis's background, I'm going to give you a refresher, perhaps an introduction to that. And here is how she describes herself from her campaign website. Cynthia Lummis is Wyoming through and through. She's tough, tested, and true to the place her family has called home for four generations. Born on a cattle ranch in Laramie County, Cynthia knows how to protect Wyoming values because she lives those values in her work and home life. From the halls of the Wyoming House to the halls of the U.S. House, Cynthia's time in public service has always been focused on fighting for Wyoming's future. Cynthia's deep knowledge of public lands, energy, and natural resources issues led her to interview with President Trump for a position in his cabinet as Secretary of the Interior in 2017 and 2019. She has also proudly served as a member of the Trump-Pence transition team. First elected to the U.S. House in 2008, Cynthia quickly earned her reputation as a no-nonsense conservative and principled policymaker. She committed to the No New Tax Pledge and garnered an A-plus rating from the National Rifle Association. Her pro-Wyoming voting record earned her recognition as the legislator who opposed President Obama's radical liberal agenda more often than any other federal elected official. She was a founding member of the House Freedom Caucus, a group consisting of the most unflinching conservative members of the House of Representatives. She fought throughout her tenure in Congress to rein in spending and reduce the federal deficit, work with the Bipartisan Committee for a Responsible Federal Budget, and ultimately co-sponsoring several bipartisan budget proposals. In Congress, Cynthia elevated Western issues. As chair of the Western Caucus, she reminded Eastern lawmakers just how invasive the federal government is in the lives and businesses of Westerners. She once had to tell an Eastern lawmaker what BLM stood for during a presentation because her colleague was completely unfamiliar with the Bureau of Land Management. By educating lawmakers on Western issues, the Western Caucus pushed through the House of Representatives the first Interior and Environment EPA appropriations bill to pass the House in seven years under her chairmanship. This marked a significant milestone for the Western Caucus and the rural communities across the West they represent. She is a dedicated champion of Wyoming's mineral and energy resources. In Washington, she fought off attacks from the environmental left while advocating for market opportunities both at home and abroad. She is the proud godmother of the ANSAC Wyoming, a commercial shipping vessel transporting Trona from the U.S. to Southeast Asia and is a recipient of the Lifetime Achievement Award from the Washington Coal Group. Cynthia worked to keep public lands open to the public and available for multiple uses. She successfully passed the National Forest System Trail Stewardship Act in 2016, a bipartisan effort led by Cynthia to maintain over 157,000 miles of trails within our national forests. 
Prior to serving in Congress, she spent eight years as Wyoming State Treasurer and 14 years as member of the Wyoming State House and Senate. Cynthia also worked as general counsel to Wyoming Governor Jim Geringer and director of the Office of State Lands and Investments, as well as a law clerk at the Wyoming Supreme Court. Today, Cynthia operates her family's cattle ranches and the Sweetgrass Development in Laramie County with her brother and sister. She is a three-time graduate of the University of Wyoming in animal science, biology, and law. Cynthia and her late husband, Al Weiderspan, have one daughter, Annalise, son-in-law, Will Cole, and grandson, Doran Augustus Cole, affectionately known as Gus. Here is the conservation and energy portion of my discussion and interview with Senator-elect Cynthia Lummis. Let me know what you think of it. I'm joined by Senator-elect Cynthia Lummis of Wyoming for a conversation about what she's looking forward to doing, some conservation and energy subjects, what her other legislative goals are, and perhaps some other issues that come to mind. But Senator-elect Lummis, thank you so much for speaking with me. Oh, it's my pleasure, Gabrielle. It's nice to see you. Yes, it's good to interface. I remember hearing your name and being familiar with your work when you were in the House of Representatives. So you're not new to politics. You've done a little bit in Wyoming and obviously in the House of Representatives. But how does it feel to move on to the Senate chamber? I'm really looking forward to being in the Senate because uh, they take the long-term view. And a lot of the issues that I am interested in uh, require that long-term look. Can you speak to the importance of why you're going to champion stewardship, kind of a conservative conservationist ethos uh, in the Senate? Um, absolutely. Uh, and this is, this is something that is near and dear to my heart, being from Wyoming, uh, a very rural place with spectacular beauty, uh, and it's more fragile than you might think. Uh, so when we see forests ignored, when we see um, uh, catastrophic wildfires pass through forests that have already been damaged by bark beetles, uh, and the federal land is in the poorest condition, right next door you'll see a state forest that because conservation thinning of that forest occurred, it has a healthier understory, it has healthier trees that are better able to withstand both uh, disease and fire. Um, so we know from the comparison of state and federal forests that, that there are advantages to responsible stewardship of those resources. So since it's proven, you know, why don't we uh, enact it in our federal forests uh, so we can avoid these kinds of extensive wildfires uh, that pr produce loss of life of wildlife and loss of life of people? Uh, it, it, it can be dealt with. For people to throw up their hands and say, well, it's just global warming, uh, and until we address global warming, there's nothing we can do about it. Well, for crying out loud, that is the most Neanderthal head in your sand approach uh, that I can think of. And when I look at the Green New Deal, when I look at uh, the possibility of a Biden administration coming in and immediately trying to eliminate the production of oil and gas on federal lands, well, my gosh, half of my state is federal land. And so that you're cutting off half of the oil and gas uh, that is necessary uh, to fuel this country. And of course, natural gas is the cleanest burning hydrocarbon right now. And if you take oil and sequester in the ground uh, the, um, uh, the effluent from power plants and such, 
you, it's a, it turns it into a zero emission fuel. So to focus on certain fuels as bad actors and tout uh, fuels such as uh, wind energy that take a tremendous impact on the footprint on the ground uh, and denude the, that soil and to consider that to be a superior technology is just completely missing the boat. So um, we need to be stewards. Your word is the right word. Uh, stewardship is key. Uh, another example is um, ownership of federal land and good stewardship don't always go hand in hand. In fact, a lot of the time, if you just put a conservation easement on the land and let the private landowner care for it, nurture it, uh, and keep it open, uh, it would be so much better for the land resource, the air resource, the water resource, the wildlife resource, uh, than having the federal government own it all and uh, be incapable of managing it because there's not enough money, there's not enough manpower uh, to manage all that land. And yet we continue to buy more and more and more, even though uh, our deferred maintenance on the current land that we already own uh, adds up uh, exponentially. Yeah, that's interesting. And also when it comes to Endangered Species Act modernization, I know Senator Barrasso has been really keen on that, as with Senator Daines. Is that something you're also going to look into as well? Absolutely. And when we have species that have fully recovered, in fact, long since fully recovered, like the grizzly bear, uh, to have them stay on the list just so environmental groups can hold them up as a poster child to raise money is completely ridiculous. The, the point is, uh, if they re are reduced to numbers that are so low that they are threatened or endangered, uh, then we have to set the right targets for their ultimate um, biological health. And when those goals are reached, we need to delist them. Um, for some environmental groups, it's a one-way street. You wanna list as many species as you can uh, and then never delist them uh, because you want to uh, perpetuate uh, this um, idea uh, that we're not good stewards uh, of habitats or of species, when in fact, we really are. And could you speak to the Trump administration's kind of conservation legacy? Because a lot of public lands bills were passed, uh, yeah. much to the chagrin of a lot of Democrat critics of them. Uh, the Interior Secretary and the subsequent agencies actually did a lot to uh, bolster kind of access points for hunters and anglers. Uh, could you speak to that and, and what you think Wyoming's took away from all their efforts to increase access on fish and wildlife lands and uh, similar other public lands as well? And recognizing uh, that state management that's closer to uh, the ground, it can be better. For example, in our own Oil and Gas Conservation Commission, uh, we had, uh, I believe, a superior set of rules uh, regulating hydraulic fracturing, uh, and the federal government uh, preempted uh, what was uh, originally thought to be uh, the best practice in the nation here in Wyoming, and yet they uh, preempted it and made regulations uh, that were far less measurable for success. Um, so the Trump administration was so sensitive to that and did help with uh, access to hunting. Uh, and a lot of that really had to do with the emphasis 
that uh, Donald Trump Jr. Uh, put on hunting uh, and conservation. And then uh, the president, uh, who's not a hunter, uh, but uh, who respects his children's uh, hunting uh, prowess and their knowledge of conservation, a lot of those ideas really did filter through to the Department of the Interior. I can't say enough good things about David Bernhardt. I think he's been a, a, a terrific uh, administrator and steward uh, at the Department of the Interior. And uh, gosh, I wish he had four more years to be there because you'd see, uh, again, tremendous progress in the areas you just mentioned. And hopefully, um, if uh, things transition uh, to uh, a different administration uh, that is not as sensitive, uh, we can highlight for them really how significant uh, the conservation uh, implementation and success during the Trump administration actually has been. And do you see yourself potentially being on the, what do you hope to be uh, appointed to when you're the chamber? Well, I, um, of course, have a, a terrific uh, Wyoming senator who I'm joining, John Barrasso, uh, who is currently on uh, EPW uh, and on Energy and Natural Resources. He currently chairs EPW, but he has enough seniority to go over and chair uh, energy uh, if Lisa Murkowski, who is term limited, uh, goes to another committee. So um, uh, it, it's a little bit wait and see uh, what uh, Senator Barrasso does. And whatever he does, you know, I want to compliment his service uh, and to the best interests of the state of Wyoming and the Intermountain West. You know, I chaired the House um, uh, Western Caucus. Uh, I, uh, Steve Daines chairs the Senate Western Caucus right now. Uh, and uh, I want to join them uh, in the Western Caucus and work really uh, deliberately uh, to, to conserve our soil, land, air, water, wildlife, uh, and our great outdoor experiences that make Wyoming and the West what it is. Under elect Lummis, we have discussed a lot of issues. What are ways that my listeners and viewers can connect with you, follow kind of your journey into the U.S. Senate and keep track with all your musings and your work? Well, we continue to keep uh, uh, Lummis for Wyoming online. Uh, and uh, we will, when we uh, join the Senate, also try to stay in touch with people uh, through websites, social media, and uh, through more uh, traditional and conventional media. And I really do look forward to this input. I, we need examples uh, of the kinds of uh, innovation that occurs when uh, you're not bogged down with regulation. Uh, and when you, when you look at the amount uh, of paperwork, of regulation, of uh, compliance uh, that was heaped on Americans during the Obama administration uh, and the efforts by the Trump administration to lift that burden, uh, the thought of seeing it reimposed uh, in the coming four years uh, it is something that we just have to be watching out for and be vigilant about all the time. Uh, so to the extent that you and your listeners can point out examples uh, where uh, freedoms gained uh, are now being eroded again because of heavy-handed government regulators, we need to know so we can help you uh, continue on your uh, journey of innovation. That's reassuring. Uh, it'll be good to see kind of this fighter spirit come back, certainly with divided government. 
And I will certainly send my followers and listeners to connect with you. And if we get a chance, hopefully once these restrictions are down, I would love to sit down with you again for follow-ups if we have the opportunity. I look forward to that, Gabriella. If you just discovered the podcast and you enjoyed what Senator-elect Lummis had to say, please go subscribe, download some past episodes, and if you feel inclined, leave us some reviews. Find us on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter to never miss a beat or a guest announcement. If you would like to recommend guests or perhaps recommend yourself for consideration here at the podcast, I'm all ears and would love to hear what you have to say. Send in a pitch, provide any credible links, your backstory, and I will do my best to consider your perspective. I have a lot of guests pending too, by the way, everyone. And we'll have more fascinating guests from in and around the nation's capital, those who work in D.C., those who work in the metro area and beyond coming on to share their perspective, especially in wake of a changing political landscape that is to befall Washington, D.C. We're going to serve as a watchdog, especially in wake of a new administration. I'm going to continue to bring on Republican and conservative lawmakers and willing Democrats who want to come on when we talk about political matters. I like to bring on people in the public policy and nonprofit space who do share different views. I've had people of different political thinking on and they're friends of mine and we don't talk politics, but I have them to come talk about hunting and fishing and expanding access for that. So we have had people of different political beliefs on the podcast before, but when I talk to politicians, most of the time I am speaking with Republicans because those are people who don't often get their fair shake on these issues and This has become a platform, I guess, for lawmakers in the center-right variety to come and espouse and spout off on different policy matters. But we'll, we'll serve as a watchdog. We'll continue to have positive stuff because I know things will get pretty dicey and we'll have a lot of policy discussions to mull over, but we'll keep it positive all the while serving as a watchdog and continue to do what I've been doing here since the inception of the podcast in September of 2018. Thank you also to all the listeners we've had. We've had about 5,000 listens and downloads in the last two months, which is unheard of. I don't have any corporate sponsorship. I am not backed by big donors. That could happen one day. Who knows? But this is primarily an independent effort. I have some backing from my client, CFACT, who I've collaborated with. But this is purely a one-woman show with some little bit of support. But it's incredible just to see the reception we've had And I think we're going to continue to grow. So stay tuned, stay alert, and keep your suggestions coming. And I'll do my best to keep you guys abreast with what is happening in and around the nation's capital and different state legislatures as well. Thanks for listening and stay tuned for some levity with Cody McLaughlin on Monday.